All right, move all this stuff through the, through the crowded marketplace back over here. So here's what I wanted to start with. Um, if you helped out with VBS this week, you were one of the physical people present, whether you were security or a teacher or a leader or a, uh, played in the, in the back and the tech crew, whatever it was, if you could stand up for me real quick, that would be awesome. So I know a lot of you have yellow shirts on, so that's good. And if the rest of us could uh, thank these people, could you do that for us? VBS is such a you guys sit down. You got, VBS is such a fun week, and uh, we cannot possibly do it without volunteers. Um, the reality is, uh, all of ministry uh, takes volunteers. Um, everything that we do takes volunteers. We got leaders for each of those things, but but we need volunteers all the time. And as God allows us to grow and permits us to reach out to more people, guess what? We're going to need more volunteers. And the reality is, this is I don't even like the word volunteer. The word we should use in the church is servant. Because that's who we're called to be, our servants of the Lord Most High. At whatever way that you can serve, I know, we know, not everyone can serve in the same capacity. Okay, we get that, we understand that, but we are all called to serve in some capacity. So don't neglect that, please, please, please. We will never become the family of God until everyone, and I mean everyone, is serving in some capacity capacity. So listen for that call on your heart. Listen for that tug from the Spirit as to what you are supposed to do, the way that you are supposed to serve, because it is so important, so important that we do that. It is great to see you all here this morning. This is a celebration. This is a unique week. Um, here, here's the thing. Um, as, a, as, a, as a youth pastor for a long, long time, and as the husband of a VBS coordinator and as the son of a VBS coordinator, so that takes me all the way back to elementary school. So that's been my whole life now. Um, one of the things would happen, like VBS would happen, and then it would be over. And it's like it just ended on Thursday or Friday, and then it was over, and you know, Sunday the stage was cleaned up, and it was like nothing ever happened. And I hated that because so many people within the church spent so much time preparing for that. And even if you weren't able to physically be here present helping, we know you were joining us. You were praying for us, us throughout the week. You were a part of this ministry. And I think, as a leader within the church, and out of respect to our children's ministry, I want all of us to know what happened this week. So we leave the decorations just a little bit, not everywhere, but a little bit, just to remind you what happened. We bring in some music from the week to just kind of revisit it. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a moment this week, and I'm going to share with you the lessons that were learned by our children throughout the week. Not that your kids didn't do an awesome job of coming home and telling you everything they learned, because we know our children are awesome at doing that, right? Um, but just in case they left out something here or there, you'll at least get the big picture. Now, I won't be able to tell you everything they learned. I won't be able to tell you in the same way that they learned. Because unlike a lot of senior pastors, I don't take the week of EBS off. Ah, no, I do not. I actually got to help. And so Ken and I were downstairs with the junior hires. We had an awesome group. We had a great group. And I'll tell you kind of how we treated them and what we did with them throughout the week, all right? So I love celebrating. This today is a celebration. We don't celebrate in the church often enough. Like we kind of celebrate at Christmas and we kind of celebrate at Easter and then there's the rest of the year. There are so many victories to be had in Christ, to be claimed in Christ's name and we just kind of let them go by. Why do we do that? We should claim every one of them and announce them and proclaim them and be thankful for them in his name. Now these kids, these kids, some of them are ours, absolutely, that were part of VBS. Many of them were new, 
We started a whole bunch of new relationships with new families throughout this week, and we pray that those relationships will develop into an opportunity for those families to join our family here at Berea. And so if you were one of those amazing people that loaded up the car and brought kids with you this last week or neighbors with you or whoever, thank you for doing that. But don't just do it to VBS. Don't just do it to VBS. Bring them on Sunday mornings too. Bring them on Wednesday nights when we have programming. Bring them on Sunday nights to youth group later on when that gets started back up in August, all right? So I get to share with you the excitement of the week. Um, if you weren't able to help out this year, great. You can help next year. I think Megan's already got a sign-up sheet going. I don't know. Yeah, she, Next week, there'll be a sign-up sheet out in the foyer for VBS next year, just so you know why it's fresh in your mind. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe. Anyway, um, <laughs> we're going to spend just a little time sharing with you what we challenge these kids with throughout the week, and then we're going to end it with, with the Father's Day portion of the message, if you will, all right? So Monday, Monday, the, the topic on Monday was Jesus is King. With the junior high side of things, what I did was we took each of the lessons that the, the younger students were learning each day, and we just turned the lesson into a question. And so they were talking about Jesus is King. So we asked the question, who is Jesus? Now, the reality is the text where we find that they, they studied from for this week, they asked the question, who is this Jesus? People everywhere weren't certain. Even his own closest followers had some doubts as to who he was. And so our children were brought into the scene of the marketplace at the very beginning. They, they, they saw this reality that this guy, Jesus, is coming. This big parade, if you will, was happening for him, Matthew 21 Verses 1 through 11, we're not going to take time to read all of the passages from the week, this particular message, because we would be here for a very long time if we read the whole stories. So I get to condense them just a little bit. Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry, his three-year ministry, and he's making his final approach to Jerusalem. And as he comes toward Jerusalem, he's just on the outskirts of town, and that is that famous Palm Sunday scene where the people lie in the streets with palm branches, and they're all shouting to him, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna means save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And Jesus entered Jerusalem, verse 10, and the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds respond, this is Jesus the prophet of Nazareth in Galilee. And as I said earlier, we, we asked the junior hires a question. Rather than quote unquote teaching them, we let them teach us. We asked them the question, who is Jesus? And we let them be giving, begin giving responses. And then what we did was we took time to define, explain each of those responses. The first answer that the junior hires gave was they said, well, who is Jesus? They said, well, well, he is a man. You're right. He was a man. For about 33 years, he walked this earth as a man. He faced everything we face, yet he chose not to sin, not to break the law of God in any way. Why? So he could be our perfect sacrifice and take our sin upon himself and to the cross. The next answer they gave was he's the son of God. We dove deep into what that meant to be the son of God and separating that from what we know as son and daughter because it is a different relationship. It was an interesting discussion to say the least. Then they went on to use the words we church people use. Oh, well, Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is Christ. The unfortunate part was, though they knew the words, guess what? They didn't know what they meant. So by them asking, by us asking a question, them giving us answers, we in turn were able to define those terms more clearly for them so they could describe who Jesus really 
is. We took time for each and every one of them. There's so many answers to that question, who is Jesus? It's something I want you to think about yourself. Who is Jesus? He's not changed ever. He will not change. He's not who we make him out to be. He's not even who we want him to be necessarily. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we need to know how Jesus defines himself and make sure that those definitions fit with who we believe that he is. That is why these lessons, these studies are so, so, so important. Because this world is trying to define our Jesus for us, and they do a very bad job. We got to know. We got to be certain. We can't just know the names. We got to know what they mean. We can't just sing the songs. We got to know what they mean. And maybe this is one of the best places to start. Their key verse for Monday came from Philippians chapter 2. Verse 11, it says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, their key verse was just that last part of verse 11. Jesus Christ is Lord. But you see, when you take that out of context, you don't understand what he did and who he is and how to make you define what that means for him to not just be your Lord, but he earned the position as well. Fathers, as we celebrate the gift that God has given us to love and care for our children on this earth, to raise them up in his ways, to love and to care for our wives, maybe this passage from Philippians is a great example that we can keep in the very front of our minds as who we are to be as we lead our families, just as Christ leads the church. Think about that with every decision that we consider. On to Tuesday. God showed his love to us through Jesus. Jesus willingly came. He restored the lives of so many different people. He came to explain the truth of God so much more clearly. And he came to practically show what God's love physically looks like on this planet. And see, I love that about Jesus. Because unlike our worldly leaders who will write great books, who make great speeches, who pass just wonderful laws, but don't abide by any of it themselves, Jesus came and he showed us how to do it, hands on. He didn't just give us the words or pass a law. He said, no, do like I do. And in the scene on Tuesday, the students saw a conversation, if you will, that happened just after a big meal that Jesus shared with his disciples at the Passover. It came from John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. About halfway through that chapter, Jesus, at this meal, gets up. Some of you know the story. He took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he began to wash the feet of every one of his disciples. He got to one of his disciples named Peter, and Peter's like, whoa, 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 no, you're not doing that to me. No, I should be washing your feet. And Jesus is like, you know what, that's cool, but if I don't wash your feet, you got nothing to do with me. And Peter's like, oh, 
Well, in that case, wash my head and my hands and every other part of me too. And Jesus is like, no, you don't get it, Peter. You don't get it. You don't understand what's happening. You will. You will. Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, I have no part with you. You'll have no part with me. At the end, Jesus asked them a question. Jesus was famous for asking questions because he wants people to think. He gave us brains for a reason. He said, do you understand? He's talking to the disciples. He's washed all of their feet. Their teacher, their rabbi, their king, their Lord just stooped before them, washed all their feet. And he asked, do you understand what I've done for you? And you know, every one of them was shaking their head now. <laughs> I don't have a clue, Jesus. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord, and I, your teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash each other's feet. You see, I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So many of the blessings of God are contingent upon our action or inaction. The key verse from that day was John 13, 34. A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Dads, I got to ask a question because dads aren't famous necessarily for their love. When you hear people describe their fathers, is love the first thing that comes to their mind? So dads, I got to ask, are we loving the people closest to us, in such a way that if they went out and loved other people that same way, they would be representing Jesus. Because fathers, that's what we're asked to do, is to love those in such a way that our love sets that example for them so they in turn can then go out and love in Jesus' name just as we love each and every one of them. It's a bold challenge. I'm not pretending it's not, but it's who we're to be in Christ. On Wednesday, we got to share with them the great news that uh, Jesus loves us. That old kid song is still as true today as it ever was. Of all the things that Jesus did on earth, these, these things were all real life examples, proof, if you will, of God's love. Real life, tangible ways that the people of that generation were able to experience firsthand the actual physical love of God. Now, over the past several months as a church, family. We've been going through the book of Luke, and we'll resume that in two weeks from today. And we have looked at these very stories of God's action and the impact it had upon those that he was coming near to, those that believed. But here's the problem. Those events were 2,000 years ago. How do those events that happened then to those people show God's love to me? It's a great question. And if you're not a believer and you're being taught about Jesus, you might really have that question. First, let's start with this. Those were real people with real lives and real stories to share, but they're not you and they're not me. Those things didn't happen to you, and Jesus knows that. He knew that those events, those recorded things would only go so far in helping convince you of his identity. For some of us, it works. It's enough. For others, they're a little more skeptical. They need a little more than just those works that happened so long ago. So Jesus went ahead, instead of just helping others, Jesus went ahead and he took it a giant leap farther. 
In John 17, beginning in verse 1 and then through midway through chapter 18, after all the healings, after all the teachings, all the ridicules, all the threats from the leaders, all the praise and rejection that came with it, after washing the disciples' feet, sharing a meal, after being set up by a traitor, Jesus heads to a garden. And he heads to a garden to be alone to pray. And he begins by praying for himself and all the things that he must go through. He then transitions to praying for his disciples, that God would protect them from the evil one, that he would sanctify them, that he would set those disciples apart, make them holy, and send them out into the world to share the good news of Jesus. But then Jesus continues praying, and he's got another element, and then he prays specifically for us. He specifically prays for you and me. It's an amazing text, Luke 17, beginning in verse 20. It says this, my prayer is not for them, the disciples alone. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Church, that's why we're here. Their message carries on today. This prayer that Jesus prayed is literally what is happening right now before your very eyes. It's a miracle. It's a true miracle of God. And he specifically prayed that all of them, us, the family of God, may be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and loved me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order to love, in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Church, he's praying for us gathered right now. He's praying that we be unified as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are unified. And then when the world sees that unity, because unity exists nowhere else in the world, I don't care what faction, I don't care what division, I don't care what movement, there are divisions within every single one of them. The only unity to be found is in Christ, and yet what do we do in Christ? We get separated all over the place. We argue, we fight, we bicker over dumb, stupid little things that have nothing to do with our Savior Jesus. And this is what he's praying. Don't do that. Focus on me and the unity that is in me. And this unity will show his love for each of us and our love for each other. And Jesus says the world will know. The world will know that he came. And through us, they will know that he loves them as well. <laughs> Parents, fathers, with the lack of unity in this world, if your family, if your kids can see the unity that happens within a big old family like this, as diverse as a family like this, all different backgrounds, all different works, all different ages, if they can see that unity, if they can feel that, then they're going to sense there's something different about this, and there is. That difference is Jesus. He's the source of our unity, and our kids must know that. The key verse for that day was Romans 8, 39. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But once again, without the context, even that verse loses a whole lot of its power. If Jesus loves us, verse 31, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God 
has chosen. It is God who justified. Who then is, is the one who condemns? No one. No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, verse 36, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered sheep as sheep to, to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither present nor future nor any powers, verse 39, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a powerful verse, but when you add the rest of it to it, oh my goodness. That's what we have for us, church. That's what we have to share with our kids, with our families. On Thursday, after we shared with them that God loves us, then on Thursday, we, we got to share with them the difficult truth, the difficult truth that, that Jesus died for us. It's a difficult reality, obviously, to share with kids, the reality that, that Jesus did not just come to tell us that he loved us. He could have done that and been absolutely truthful, but he came to show us. The reality of what, what Jesus went through on the cross must be shared with anyone who will listen. It wasn't right. It shouldn't have happened. He did nothing wrong. Much like a lot of the tragedies that we see in the news today where innocent victims are subjected to these random acts of evil, the difference is that Jesus intentionally chose this path. He walked directly into the hands of the killers. He offered no defense. His, his life told the truth of who he was. He wasn't guilty. He was only guilty of helping those in the greatest of need and sharing the truth of his father with anyone who would listen. Now, this is a hard story to share with kids. We know that. It's also a hard reality to accept for adults. The key verse from that day came from Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but again, Without the context, any verse in Scripture, honestly, is kind of meaningless except for just a bare few. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Church here in America, we haven't had to suffer much for a long time. I'm just saying, maybe there's a time coming. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled or brought back together shall we be saved through his life? Not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received this reconciliation. Have you? Have you personally received that reconciliation? Have your debt been paid? 
for the sin that you have committed? Have you been reunited with your heavenly Father on a day like this through the only means possible, through the blood of Jesus? See, there's nothing greater you will ever do in this life than make that choice to accept that gift. Dads, maybe you've all made that full commitment. Men in the room, young men in the room, maybe you've all made that full commitment. If so, then I ask, are you begging Jesus to help you love and to lead your family in his ways? Doesn't matter if you're a great, great, great grandparent or you're not even married yet. Are you begging God that he will help you lead in those ways? If not, maybe today is the day to begin that conversation. We have one final day left, that day of Friday. And I promise you on Friday we would begin to transition into the, the true just Father's Day portion of the message. So we're going to start with this. I've got a little dad test. Now, my wife actually found this for me. I mean, it was probably a year ago. And so I actually saved it on the desktop of my computer. I labeled it Father's Day 2022. So that way I wouldn't forget to use it on Father's Day of 2022 because I have so many files on my computer. Anyway, um, so here's the thing. This is a dad test. These are all statements I just want to see. Don't show your hands, okay? Um, fathers, you might admit these. You might not. I guarantee your wives have heard it. Um, Kids, if you pay attention, then you've heard it as well. Number one, have you ever said these things? Guess it's free then when the item has trouble being scanned at the cash register. I'm sure nobody's ever said that. The words found it when, of course, pointing the, the stud finder at yourself. <laughs> Never said that. Mm. How about this one? Because I say this all the time. Guilty as charged. Looks like we'll have to amputate. Any minor injury to your children. Have you ever heard that before, kids? <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> let's rock and roll when it's time to leave. That might date you a little bit, so be careful about that one. Did you fall in when the kid takes too long going to the restroom? I think I just said this one the other day. No, your other right. Yeah. What's the damage before looking at the bill from wherever? To your neighbor. Hey, can you do mine next? When they're filling the blank, washing the car, mowing the lawn, etc., etc., etc. I'm sure nobody has ever said this. I was just resting my eyes. Uh, yeah. When you weren't asleep, I'm sure. Yeah. I guess they'll let anyone in here when you see a friend out in public. Somewhere else. Is that Eli? David must say these all the time. Eli is finding these hilarious. Thank you, Eli. You're hired. You are hired, my friend. Can't get very far without these after forgetting your car keys. I'm sure you've never said that. Now, you could fill in the blank with whatever word you might have used here, fathers, but look, horses when driving down the road past horses. Right. Fill in the blank with whatever thing you pointed out that was really obvious. Uh, I'm not paying, paying to heat or cool the whole neighborhood. Yeah, get the door shut, kid. Oh, it's not heavy. It's, it's just awkward when it's actually heavy, of course, right? Um, people don't know how to drive in this town. In every town, you probably drive in. Oh, boy, we needed this rain. Like, every time it rains, you might say that. Um, uh, that's, that's, that's how they get you. That's how they get you. After declining that warranty at the store, did you ever do? Maybe not. Back already. 
How was it when someone else forgot their keys to the car? When they everybody, nobody's ever said that. I've said that. How many times I said that to you? Anyway, um, yeah. And for those of us that work outside, hey, that's not going anywhere. After you've tied it down, strapped it down, cement posted it in, whatever your method was, we didn't grade you on this test. But I'm guessing all of us passed with flying colors because these are all expressions that we use throughout our everyday life. Here's the reality. Our reality of Friday was this truth that Jesus lives, that Jesus lives, and he doesn't just live. One of our favorite answers from the whole week in our junior hires had to do with this idea. This time we're talking about who Jesus died for or whose sins that Jesus died for, and they always seem to use the first person. They talked about themselves, which is great. Because we love to say that Jesus died for the sins of the world. We love to say that Jesus lives, but we should be saying that Jesus lives in me, in us. It's not just for everyone else. It is for everyone else, but you've got to make it personal or else it becomes something that's for someone else. And we forget that it's for us. So the story on on Friday had to do with Jesus rising from the dead, and it was brought out of Matthew Chapter 28 and beginning in verse 1, those first few verses of Matthew share with you the incredible morning of Jesus' resurrection as Mary and a few other ladies head to the tomb. Matthew records that there was this violent earthquake and the stone was no longer in front of that tomb. When they got there, there were angels that told them that Jesus had arisen. They didn't know what to do, so they ran back full of joy, but on the way they were stopped by who else? Jesus. And Jesus, it says in another gospel, fell down on his feet, grabbed onto him and wouldn't let go. And Jesus like, chill out, woman. You're right, I'm here. It's awesome. Now go tell everybody else. I'll be meeting with you here real soon. And she goes and she goes back and she tells everybody the incredible news. That day, their day, was shared, their day wasn't just changed. Their life was changed forever in that moment. You see, they were going to mourn. They were going to pay last respects. They thought it was all over. They had no idea what to do. And instead, they were greeted with the greatest news in all of human history, that Jesus had risen from the grave. And now they were left to worship their Savior, his defeat of sin and death forever. Their story of how he came to offer life and not just stay dead, but come back to life, freed them. It freed them up to offer that same hope to everyone who will believe. That was a slight change in plans that morning, for sure. Their entire life now changed course. But what happened to those men and those women way back then can happen to each and every one of us today as well. Not only does Jesus love you just as much as he did those individuals who hung out with him for three years, he longs to live within you. The key verse for Friday came from John 14, 19, but you've already learned I'm a context person. I can't just read you that verse because it means so much more if you read the verses around it. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit, to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, Jesus, the spirit of truth, because it neither sees him nor knows him. The world doesn't know the truth. Huh. Boy, that's changed. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. 
The one who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. The man that recorded Jesus' words in this passage had a very specific purpose. And any time I get the chance to share and remind people, Charity already knows what I'm going to say. John, John was Jesus' best friend. John was the closest disciple to Jesus, even though there was a little bit of an age gap because he was probably an upper age, upper end teenager, 16, 18 years old, probably in that range when they started together, maybe 20 by the time Jesus died. We know that they were best friends. He was part of the inner three, but there was only one that was left at the cross, and that was John. And Jesus handed his hand to his mom to take care of her for me. That's a best friend, right? Never left him. And so I always tell people my favorite gospel is John because John knew Jesus better than anybody. And so he's telling them the truth, the true story of his best friend. And his job was to try to convince people, try to persuade people to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Those are John's words, not mine. He longs for all of us to experience the same life that he, John, did in the name of Jesus. And so Jesus says, whoever has my commands and keeps them, well, those are the people that love me. So if you claim to love Jesus, then your life should reflect that by keeping his commands. If you don't keep his commands, then Jesus would say, then I'm not sure that you truly love me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. What are his commands, you ask? Great question. There's only two. There's only two. Matthew 22, verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. With all your mind, and the first is the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on those two commands. See, here's the joy. The joy of being in love with Jesus and being contained within the love of Jesus is that keeping those two commands is a pleasure. Not easy. <laughs> Didn't say that. But it's a pleasure. So dads, moms, all of us who claim to be in Christ, we are here on this earth right now, that's why God still has you here, to be his representative, to show his love, to be his hands and his feet. We are to set the example for the world around us to see. We are to live out these truths in our life. Those closest to us, this is important, those closest to us should be experiencing the love of Jesus through us every single day. Fathers, do your kids, does your wife, do your coworkers experience the love of Jesus through you? That is who we are called to be. A living in his word, obeying his commands as best we can. We will fall short. We're not going to be perfect, but are we trying? Have we accepted his grace, his love, and his mercy for ourselves? Have we committed our lives fully to him? That's possible that you could hear these words no matter your age and begin to feel, you know what? I'm a little guilty there. I've fallen a little short for not being the, the parent that you should be, for not being the spouse you should be or have not been, or being the friend or coworker or brother or sister that you have been. And here's what I am here to gladly tell you. You no longer need to feel guilt or shame or anything like that in regards to this. I'm here to tell you that the Spirit of God is here today, and he will take away that pain, that guilt, that shame from you forever. All that you are feeling, 
all that you were experiencing was, was taking with Jesus Christ to the cross. And there is forgiveness and restoration and new life waiting for you today. So fathers, if by chance, if by chance you've never accepted this gift for yourself, or maybe God has just opened your eyes and your heart to a new way that you should be spiritually leading your family. Can I just tell you, there's no better example you could set for your family today than to A, accept Jesus Christ, maybe for the first time, fully commit your life to him, be baptized in these waters behind me and show your family what it looks like to be a man of God and bow before the throne of Christ. Maybe you feel like you've fallen short and, and God's word has just kind of wrecked you in the inside a little bit. There's nothing better you could do than to come before God today, before his throne, and allow others to pray over you, pray with you, help to restore you, set that example for your family, show them what it means to be a man of God before the throne of God. Father God, we, we can't thank you enough for this last week of VBS, the, the safety that you provided for the kids the volunteers that you provided to just love on these kids, the resources you provided to be able to feed these kids and, and purchase things for them to take home and opportunities for them to remember. But Father, all of that is for naught if we don't remember the reason we do it. So that we can share the love of Jesus with anyone who will listen. And Father, sometimes we in the church think, well, we're just trying to reach out to others. It's just it's those that don't know you yet that we've got to get this word out to. And that is true. That is part of our mission, to love others one step closer to Jesus. And I pray that happened this last week, that we loved some of those kids one step closer to Jesus. Maybe the first time they'd ever heard really anything about him. I know we had one of those in junior high that knew nothing about your son really prior to this week. And we began some great, great conversations that I pray will ultimately lead to his salvation. Father, sometimes we forget that those of us that gather here on a Sunday morning shouldn't be just gathering here to sit and sing or hang out with people or just listen for a few minutes, but we should be here this morning to allow you to work on us. Father, to allow the Spirit to come in and do that delicate surgery on our souls, on our hearts, on our minds that he can't do during the regular week because we're so distracted. But we can come in here for an hour and we can allow that spirit to fully dive inside of us and begin to expose some of those things that need to expose, to break some of those things that need broken in our hearts before God. But then we sit and we just take those things in and we absorb them. We don't react. We don't move. The spirit calls us to move, not to stay still. And so, Father, I just pray that your spirit moves, especially in the men, but in anyone today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, anyone in here who, who feels broken inside, anyone in here who is struggling in life right now, it might be financial struggles, it might be a personal struggle, it might be a health struggle that exists within them right now. Father, we have a body of believers here that loves to pray for other people, that wants to meet them at the foot of the cross and be broken right alongside them as we lift up their needs. Father, we love you. We're so thankful for what you did for each of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.